good morning. Good to see all of you today. Um, this morning we're in our in part five of a series we've been doing called Road Trip. Uh, to give you a quick reminder, quick review as to what we're doing in this series, what we're hoping to accomplish is that I'm a firm believer in the fact that if you look at what God did with the children of Israel, the journey that he took them on, it's a template for what God wants to do in the life of every person. Meaning this, kind of here's what we've covered so far. God looked down and saw that Israel was in bondage. He said, I've heard the cry of my people, Israel in bondage. I want to deliver them. Just basic information. God is a deliverer. He's just into delivering his people, right? And so he said, I want to deliver you. And so he did that by, by the, the sacrificial lamb, the blood of the lamb freed the children of Israel. What does that have to do with us? It, well, it, it, it shows that in, in the life of, of people, God wants to deliver you. We're all born into the bondage of sin, but thank God for the blood of the sacrificial lamb, his son Jesus, that sets us free. Amen? And so he wants to do that. And then, and then we see that they go through the waters of the Red Sea, which is a picture of baptism. And we can take application from that, that God wants us to be water baptized. Not just the process of being dunked underwater, but all that comes along with it, the severing of the old life, the entrance into the new life. That's something God wants to do in all of our lives. But beyond that, can I, can I just get real detailed with you? We see that, that after they come through the Red Sea, that, that um, God instructs them about the tabernacle, being, building a tabernacle because for this purpose is that God wanted to dwell right in the heart of his people, right in the center of civilization. And God wanted to be the center of their society. They were to camp around this, this tabernacle. The presence of God was the, was the point, the presence of God in the middle of his people. Uh, we see, if we, we watch how they journey, we see that, that God provided a cloud for them to follow. Remember that the environment they were in was a harsh environment. It was a very sun-soaked environment, dry, desolate environment. And that cloud covered, it was, it was a protection covering over them as they navigated their environment. Listen, God wants us to walk under his protection his protective hand, he wants to, his, to, to put us to position ourselves in a way that his presence is there as a covering over us. At night when it was dark and cold, it was a fire that it led them. And when everything else around them looked dark, there was always the guidance of his spirit there. This is the application for us. God just wants to live right in the middle of our lives, church. Every day. His spirit there with us, guiding us, protecting us, leading us. So there's so many lessons we can learn from looking at the story of Israel and their journey. And hopefully we can find application for us in our own lives. So last week we talked about their journey through the wilderness and what that produced. I said this and I think it's important for us as we're building our theology to know that the wilderness was not a punishment, it was a preparation. It was a time where God was teaching them things in the wilderness because what he was trying to do is prepare them for the ultimate destination. The ultimate destination was the promised land. It was all about God bringing them somewhere, and this somewhere was the promised land. But he had to do some work in them teaching them his nature, teaching them to obey him, teaching them how to, how to live in, in alignment with his will 
So the journey through the wilderness was about preparing them for the ultimate destination, which was the promised land. Now, if we're not careful, what we do in these settings is we talk about this promised land, and it sounds great in theory. And we just go, yeah, yeah, God had this, this promised land for these people called the Jews. And in theory, we go, great. But it's more important that we understand the application for us today. So I want to begin. This, this morning, we're going to talk about this final leg of their journey, the entrance into the promised land. But I want to do it this way. I want to begin with defining the promised land. And, and let me say it this way. We know that in the case of Israel, it was a definite location. There was actually a land called Canaan that God had given them. It was a location. It had boundaries. It had definition. But beyond that, it wasn't just a location. It was really about redemption. Now, redemption is, is one of my favorite words. The word redeem is one of my favorite words in all of Christendom. Because to redeem something means this. It means that something was possessed and we lost it. Something was lost. And to redeem what has been lost means to purchase it back. So when we say we are redeemed, mankind is redeemed, it means that, that mankind had a standing with God, had a position, a place even, the Garden of Eden. We had this place that we lost but Jesus came to redeem what was lost. And so the promised land wasn't just about a location, it was about redemption. It was about returning to that place called the Garden of Eden where God and man had perfect fellowship, intimate fellowship, connection. And so the promised land really was about the redeeming of the relationship. But also it came with privileges. Because God is a good father, there were privileges to being in a redeemed relationship with our father. We look at, at Adam and Eve, there was, there was nothing lacking in the Garden of Eden. Listen, God's not afraid to give you good things. If, if really, if it, you know, this whole discussion about the promised land is this, is that God's not afraid to give you good things. And sometimes we think that it's materialistic of us or somehow ungodly of us to desire good things. Can I tell you something? God created you, and he created you with certain desires. And it would be, it would be evil of him, it would be torturous of him to create you with desires and leave those desires unfulfilled. So he's okay with your desires. Now, not perverted desires. I'll say it this way. You know, you're not supposed to say this in church, so get ready. God created you with a desire for sex. And can I tell you, that's not a bad thing. All the men are like, whew. Bumping their wives going, I told you so. All right? That's not a bad thing. Now, if that desire gets perverted, now it turns into a bad thing. But God created us with certain desires, and it's okay to expect good things. And in my value system, sex is just a good thing. So, My mom's not in the room, so I can say that. All right. Yeah, I'm going to get a call later on today. 
So this, this idea of the promised land where God was bringing it was more than a location. It was about a relationship. It was about connection and, and the privileges, the things that come with that connection. And so this is what God was bringing them to. And I say to you that God wants the same thing for us. God wants to walk in intimate fellowship with you. He doesn't want us just to visit him on Sunday mornings. Come into this room expecting, expecting to visit him, shake his hand. Good morning, God. Right? He wants to be right smack dab in the center of your life. Everything that you do, he wants to be right in the middle of it. And he wants to bless us. I mean, I'm a dad. I have kids. I want good things for my kids. And God is certainly a good father. And he wants good things for us. So, so God was, was bringing them on this journey in order to get them to this thing called the promised land. But there had to be preparation. He had to prepare them because he couldn't just bring them with the same mindset that they had as a slave in Egypt. That mindset would never allow them to fully walk in all that the promised land had. So that there had to be a process, and the process is the renewing of the mind. Right? Now, what does this have to do with us? That you and I, God has to bring us through a process so that our mind would be renewed, so that we don't have a slave mentality trying to live in the promised land. It doesn't work. We miss the promised land without a renewed mind. And so he had to bring them through this process. I said to you last week, and I don't know how many of you caught it, but I said that in, in the wilderness is when you build your theology. And here's what I meant by that. Shortly after Israel and them come out of the Red Sea and begin their journey through the wilderness, they get hungry. We talked about this. They get hungry, and, and all of a sudden they go, oh, snap. We launched into this journey with God, but all of a sudden now I find myself in a place where when I look around, I don't see food. I don't see provision for food in this area. And so all of a sudden, if you read it, you'll see that they went, oh, oh, goodness. And they begin to panic. And they, they actually begin to long for Egypt again. Saying like, oh, man. And if you read it, it's really funny. You know, they're saying like, God brought us out here to kill us. There weren't graves in Egypt. So they brought us out here to kill us where we could, we could bury each other. And they, they actually longed for Egypt in the middle of this challenge. But see, what happened was God was like, tap the brakes. Hold on just a second. And God brought food to meet their need. They had a hunger, physical hunger. He provided, he provided for that situation in the middle of impossibility. And you know why he did that? Because it was shaping their theology saying, I serve the God of the impossible, and God is the God who can make a way where there is no way. He's the God who can bring streams in the desert. He's the God who could provide for me in the hardest situations. My God is able. And to the ones who are paying attention, their mind's being renewed, and, and, and they're learning, their, their theology is being built that, that, that Egypt is not my provision. God is my provider. And so in the wilderness is when our theology gets shaped. Shake your head if you follow me on that thought. That's when we start learning what God does and how he operates in the wilderness. But I gave this warning 
And, I, and again, I don't know if you caught it, but what I said is our theology is built in the wilderness, but we shouldn't build our theology on the wilderness experience. Now, here's what I mean by that. Let me just bring a little clarity to that idea. So walking through being hungry and being fed helps my theology. It helps me see God as my provider. But if I step back and I look at the entire wilderness experience as a whole and try to develop my theology there, I get off. Because what I mentioned was, remember that when they got close to the promised land, they sent 12 spies into the promised land to spy out the promised land. And when they came back, 10 of those people gave a negative report, 10 of the 12. Two of the 12 gave the positive report. You with me? Now, I was informed directly after service that I jacked up my math last week when I shared this thing. And then I'm thinking of all the teachers in the room going, you're probably distracted from there on out last week when I jacked up my math. What I was trying to say was two of the 12 believed God. Two of the 12 gave a positive, gave a positive report. Now, I went back and checked this. That is 16.6%. <laughs> and remember that those 12 were a representation of the whole, the whole nation. So what I said was 16.6% of the people got it, which left, ready? Here's where I messed up. 83.4% of the people missed it. It was a great point whether the math was right or not. And so if I'm not careful, though, what I'll do is I'll look at that as a whole and I'll step back and I'll develop a theology that says, well, only certain people are blessed to enter the promised land. See how I can develop that theology? That, well, just certain people, just a few, you know, 16% God blesses. The other 84% of us just have to kind of, we're on our own. And so don't build your theology like that. Right? Because we, we can get mixed up there. And a lot of people, you know, when, when we're looking at things like that, we develop, and, and I want to be really careful here. I really want to be a pastor this morning, so please listen to my heart beyond my words. You know, some of us develop a, a theology on the sovereignty of God. Now, how many of you in this room believe God is sovereign? He is absolutely sovereign. But here's what you need to understand, is that in his sovereignty, he made a way. God doesn't sit in his sovereignty and go, I'm going to bless Miss Dot, but this Greg kid, don't know. But we develop theologies like that. And their entire theologies ought to, well, you know, Greg ought to just be happy. The blessings aren't for him, it's for his grandmother, but, it, but at least somebody's getting them. Right? And, 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 and I know God-fearing, Jesus-loving people who I love dearly who believe that way. And I understand it. I understand how we develop that theology. But I just want to tell you that God's not sitting up there picking and choosing his favorites. He sent Jesus to redeem everything that has been lost. It has been 100% redeemed. And those of us who have the faith to reach in and grab it can enter our promised land and begin to walk in those things. So it's for every one of us. It's not for a select few. 
Now, it's still, it's still a fact that most of them miss it. And can I say that most of us in this room, if we're not careful, are going to miss it. But it's not God's choosing. It's up to you. It's up to you and I how we will allow the Lord to process, renew our mind, to enable us, to prepare us to walk in the promised land that he has for us. So here's God bringing them through the wilderness, shaping them. The spies are sent in. The, 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 the report comes back. It's, it's a little iffy. Ten of them say, we can't do this thing. Two of them said, we got it. We got this. So eventually, 40 years later, the children of Israel, they do enter into this promised land. But what we find is when they enter the promised land, it, it wasn't a place where like once we cross this river, it's just kick back, throw your feet up time. And sometimes when we think promised land, that's what we think of. And then when we preach it in today's churches, you're saying, Pastor Jody, are you saying that there's a place in, 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 in my life where I get to, where there's just no problem. It's the promised land. There's just no problems. There's no challenges. It's just, you just, you just wake up successful. Tomorrow I wake up more successful than I am today. Skinnier than I am today. My wife loves me more tomorrow. You know what I'm saying? Is that what you're saying, Jody? Absolutely not. That is not what I'm saying. Turn to your neighbor and say, that's not what he's saying. That's not what I'm saying. Because when they, when they entered the promised land, you know what they found out? That there was an enemy in their promised land. Now, was it theirs? Was that their land? Give me an answer. Yes. It was theirs. God had promised it to them. It was theirs. It belonged to them. That life of connection with, Jesus, with, with the Father, of walking in the privileges and the promises and the blessings of God, that was theirs. But the problem is there was an enemy there. And here's my point. You and I, our destination is living this life of connection with our Father and, and walking under his provision and his blessing and, and perfect intimacy with him. But I want you to know that there's, there's an enemy in that life for you. There's an enemy in your house. There's an enemy in my house. You know what we find is if you look all the way back to the very beginning, the perfect creation, the perfect beginning of the Garden of Eden, you know what? There was an enemy in the Garden of Eden. It was the serpent. I mean, this, this was theirs. God had, had created man and, and, and said, hey, go have dominion. I mean, this is yours. You're in charge. Rule this place. But there was an enemy there. That enemy couldn't conquer Adam and Eve, but it could deceive them. You know what I learned from that? Is that if you and I are going to walk in the fullness of the promised land, we're going to have to not be deceived by the enemy. It's about a mindset. It's about knowing the heart of our Father. It's about having our mind renewed so that we can walk in the fullness of what he's provided for us. So there were, there were challenges, there were promises and, and provision in the promised land, but there was also challenges there. You know, I mean, they weren't there but just a minute, and they run into the city of Jericho, and, and they, they have to deal with Jericho. So there, there are challenges. I, I'm saying to you today that God wants to bring you into a good land, 
But you're not just going to tiptoe into it. You're just not going to skip into it. You're going to have to face the enemy that is inhabiting your promised land. And you're going to have to learn to be obedient. You're going to have to learn to hear the battle plan. I love the story of Jericho. Because again, they walk into this promised land. Everything they heard about it was, this is phenomenal. And aren't they, they're barely in there and they run up against this city. And they look around and this city is, is, is a walled city. It's huge walls around it. And they go, oh my goodness, what have we done? And so the, the good thing is that under Joshua's leadership, they went to the Lord and said, okay, God, this is our promised land, but there's an enemy here. So how do we deal with it? And God gave them the worst game plan ever. It's the worst battle plan ever. It's a ridiculous battle plan. But it was in obeying God that they won that victory. And they took, they took a little of the ground that was theirs. They, ev- they evicted the enemy and they possessed one more step into their promised land. And then it was the city of Ai onto Ai. What I'm saying to, to you today, church, is that if you're going to walk in the promised land that God has for you, you're going to have to fight some battles. You're going to have to, you're going to, have to hear from God, and it's going to be one step at a time as you possess your promised land. So I want to, here's how I want to finish the, the rest of this message today. I want to give you five things that I believe you need to know about inhabiting the promised land. Five things about the promised land, and then we're going to wrap up this series with this idea. Here we go. Number one, first thing I want to say about, the the first thing that you need to know about the promised land that God has for you is that it's good. There's one person in this room who believes that. God's got good things for you, church. Come over here. Felix, God's got good things for you. Mm. Somebody give me a, well. Over and over and over and over again, you'll see that every time God talked to them about the promised land, he's like, it's good, guys. It's good. It's good. It's good. It's good. Oh, by the way, it's good. And hey, while you're thinking about this, remember, it's good. And send some spies in, and when the spies come back, they're going to tell you, it's good. Israel needed the motivation to press through the challenges, and the motivation was, it's good. Let me say this, church. It's worth the fight. It's worth the fight. God's got good things for you. And I don't say this to be materialistic. You know, it's, it's funny is because when you look through how God described the promised land to the children of Israel over and over again, don't throw anything at me now, it had to do with prosperity. Because they were farmers, he would say things like, you know what, there's, there's good ground there. There's good crops there. Your, your animals are going to thrive there. You know what he was saying to them was, there's financial blessing in your promised land. Now, some of us, I get it. We've, we've, seen, 
We've seen the church do it wrong. And so we, when we talk about prosperity, we put up this wall and go, wait a minute now. I don't know if God wants to bless you financially. And, and if you know me at all, you know that Jody is not materialistic. Last year, I bought my, I'm 50 years old. Last year at 49, I bought my first ever new truck. First new truck I've ever owned. Before then, I drove my 20-year-old Ford F-250 that had 300,000, 350,000 miles on it. And it was given to me by my father-in-law. So Jody is not standing up here trying to take an offering because I need a helicopter to fly from here to my house. Do you know your pastor? I say all that to say Jody is not materialistic. In fact, if I became a millionaire, I'd probably be like Sam Walton, driving the same old truck that I drove before I became a millionaire. That's just me. Or I may buy a Lamborghini. I don't know. <laughs> I'll give it a whirl. If, if anybody wants to help, I'll, we'll, we'll just do an experiment and see what Jody's going to do. So I say all that to say that I'm not materialistic. And if you know the spirit of our church here, we're not materialistic. Do you, do you trust your leadership here? That's just not us. But can I say this? We live in an area where I believe there's a spirit of, of poverty that presides over this area. And I could actually stand on this property and throw a rock and hit a neighborhood that is just saturated in poverty. And all that it brings and I say that carefully because some of you were raised in that neighborhood. And, and, and all you've ever known was poverty and the things that come with it. You know, in, in places of low, lower economic status, you'll see things like I, you drive through those neighborhoods and, and you see grown men sitting on the porch in the middle of the day. And I go, why aren't you at work? It's because they don't go to work. They were trained to live on welfare. And if you're on welfare, I'm not throwing rocks at you. Please, you hear my heart. I'm your pastor. I love you. I'm just saying God's got something better for you than welfare. Right? And, and, and in those areas, we see the dysfunction. We see families broken up. And we see single women having multiple children because of the welfare benefit that comes along with it. And we see all this all this twistedness, and I can just say to you, I'm not materialistic, but I am ready to see the back of poverty broken over our area, right? Come on now. My mother-in-law was the director of Care Help for many years, and, and, and she would talk to us often of the things that she had seen helping people. You know, you have grandma come in for help, and then she raised her daughter to come in for help, and then now grandchildren and great-grandchildren, generations of poverty just needing handout after handout after handout. And again, thank God there are places like Care Help to hand out, but God's best is not handouts. We ought to be the ones giving, doing the handing, not the one receiving. Amen. So I don't say this to tell you that the promised land is all of us being millionaires. I'm just saying, God, I'm just ready to see poverty broken in this area, especially over God's children. If you're a child of God, poverty is not for you. Lack is not for you. We serve a God of abundance. 
And he's not afraid to bless you. Enough said about that. Number one thing we need to know about the promised land is that it's good. The number two thing that, um, that I want to say about the promised land, and, and you got to follow me now. I, I, I'm going I'm, I'm to be honest with you, okay? And so if we, if we say we're following the journey of, of Israel from Egypt to the promised land and every little part of it, every little step has something, a picture for us that God wants to do in our life, I want to say this. The entrance into the promised land started with a second baptism. If, if the Red Sea, going through the Red Sea was the first baptism, they didn't enter the promised land until they had a second baptism. It was the Jordan River, yes or no? They had to go through the Jordan River to get to the promised land. Well, what does that mean, Jody? Listen, I was raised with a clear understanding of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And some of you may not have been. Maybe the, the thought of the baptism of the Holy Spirit scares you. I just If we're going to be honest and true to what we're doing here, before you get to the promised land, you need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Yes or no? Yeah. It took that second baptism. Now I'm, gonna go, and I'm not going to go real deep into that. We can do that later. But I just want to tell you, some of you, you've been, you've been doing this Christian thing under your own strength without the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Jesus breathed on his disciples after his resurrection and said, receive you the Holy Spirit. I believe at that moment they were saved, but he said, don't, listen, You've received the, you, you, you have the Holy Spirit on the inside of you, but don't leave Jerusalem because I've got something else for you. The Holy Spirit's in you, but I want to baptize you in him. And the baptism of the Holy Spirit was what launched them into power to walk in the fullness that God had for them. So I just want to tell you, another thing you need to know about the promised land is it starts with the second baptism, baptism of the Holy Spirit. Third thing I want to tell you, about the promised land is that it's going to take some battles to fully inhabit it. There's an enemy in your promised land yeah. and you're going to have to evict them. Look with me at Exodus, the 23rd chapter, the 29th verse says this. This is God talking about the inhabitants of their promised land. He says, I'll not drive them out in a single year because the land will become desolate and the wild animals would multiply and threaten you. This, this is important, ready? I will drive them, that's the enemies, I will drive them out a little at a time until your population has increased enough to take possession of the land. Now here's what we learn from that passage. That in your promised land, there are enemies. And it's gonna take some battles for you to evict your enemy from your promised land. Then he goes on to say, the pace at which this happens doesn't depend on God. He says, we're going to do this thing in proportion to your growth. So we're going to have to grow you so that you can fully inhabit it. And so we'll drive out one enemy at a time. And as we're evicting someone, your growth will be able to maintain that. This is why here at Victory, one of our core values is growth. Because Christianity is not a static position. It's a dynamic position. And it's in our personal growth as our mind is renewed, as we learn more of God, as we grow spiritually, we're more equipped to inhabit the land of promise. 
So it's not dependent on God, it's dependent on us. Sorry. But it's gonna take some battles to inhabit the fullness of your promised land. The fourth thing that I wanna tell you about the promised land is this. If you fast forward to the book of Joshua, beginning in the first chapter, you'll see that 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 God is preparing Joshua to actually make entrance into the promised land. I would love for you to go home and read Joshua chapter 1, and I want you to count how many times God tells Joshua, be strong and of good courage. Be strong and of good courage. Oh, by the way, be strong and of good courage. While you're doing this, Joshua, remember this. It's going to take some strength and it's going to take some courage. So so the, the fourth thing I want to tell you about the promised land is this. The main ingredients for inhabiting your promised land, it's obedience and courage. Obedience and courage. God tells Joshua in, in, in chapter 1, verse 8, he said, this book of the law, you need to meditate on it day, night. Day, night, meditate on the word. He says, you're going to have to be strong, you're going to have to be courageous, and you're going to have to know my word. What does that have to do with us? I say to you, church, if we're going to walk in the fullness of what God has for us, we're going to have to meditate on the word day and night. And and can I tell you this? Not to take anything away from this book. This is the logos of God. But 2,000 years ago, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So the word is not just this. The word is Jesus himself. So it's not just about knowing this, it's about knowing the God of this. It's about meditating on who he is, what he says, what his nature is, how he works, how he does things. If you're going to inherit your promised land and fully inhabit it, you got to know the word. you got to meditate on it day and night. And then you're going to have to be courageous. Now what does that mean, Jody? I'm telling you, it... Again, we can look at Jericho, and I think it's a perfect picture of what it means to be courageous. I mean, God gives Joshua this ridiculous plan for Jericho. And, and he, you know, Joshua has to go to the people then and go, okay, listen, here's the battle plan. Everybody line up. We're going to walk around this city. And they were probably sitting there going, okay, and? And then after we walk around it, we're going to walk around it again. Okay, and, and, and then what? Well, then on day three, that's when it gets exciting. We're going to walk around it again. Am I the only one? Did you lose your sense of humor? Is that not funny to you? That's ridiculous. It's a ridiculous battle plan. And so it took courage for Joshua to stand up and say, okay, guys, here we go. Here's what we're doing. And, and what was funny was he even told him, when you're walking around, just keep your mouth closed. Yeah. Now, why is that, you think? Because me and the guy next to me would be walking and then go, is this ridiculous to you? And next thing you know, we'd be, God, this is the stupidest thing I've ever done. Can't believe I'm expending this energy. And they talk themselves right out of it. So God said, listen, just, just keep your mouth closed. Just don't talk to anybody. But it took courage It took courage to do that. Now, Joshua was a courageous man. Listen to me. This is important. Joshua was a warrior. So courage was 
was nothing abnormal for him, but he was used to his courage taking the form of grab a sword and let's go kill somebody. That's what his courage usually looked like. But it took, I believe, even greater courage to say, I'm not bringing a sword, I'm doing what God told me to do. And this doesn't look like the right way. This doesn't look like it'll produce. This seems impossible. This is not a smart plan. This does not make sense to my earthly mind. But if this is what God said to do, I'm doing it. I'm going to have the courage to be obedient to his word, even if it doesn't make sense to my natural mind. Now, what does that have to do with you and I? Come on now. If we're going to walk in the fullness of of the promised land, we're going to have to be people of faith. Say, if God said, do this, I'm doing it. If Jesus wants to take mud and rub it on somebody's eyes to to make their blindness go away, I'm in. The optometrist would probably not do it that way, but I'm in, right? So it's going to take some faith. I mean, if you're, we were talking about money a minute ago. If you're, if you're in financial hardship, you know what God may say for you to do? Go in that, that mostly empty pantry that you have and empty it all out and give it to somebody else. Well, that's, that's not the way to get more. It absolutely is in the kingdom of God. You want to receive, give. You want to be first, put yourself last. You want to be greatest, be the best servant of them all. That's the way the kingdom operates. It's going to take courage. It's going to take stepping out and doing things that maybe aren't popular or don't make sense. So the fourth thing is, The main ingredients are going to be courage and obedience. The last thing, the fifth thing that I want to tell you about the kingdom or about um, the promised land is this idea. One of the greatest commands, I'm going to finish on this. Y'all okay? You with me? I want to finish on this. When, When they got into the promised land, God said to them over and over, he gave them this instruction. He said to them, Whatever you do, don't mingle with the inhabitants of the land. He said, don't don't get entwined with the inhabitants of the land. Look with me at Deuteronomy chapter 7, beginning in verse 1. Here's what it says. When the Lord your God brings you into the land you are about to enter and occupy, He will clear away many nations ahead of you, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hevites, and the Jebusites. These seven nations are greater and more numerous than you. Verse 2, when the Lord your God hands these nations over to you and you conquer them, you must completely destroy them. Make no treaties with them and show them no mercy. Verse 3. You must not intermarry with them. Do not let your daughters and sons marry their sons and daughters, for they against you, and he will quickly destroy you. This is what you must do. You must break down their pagan altars and shatter their sacred pillars. Cut down the Asherah poles and burn their idols. For you are a holy people who belong to the Lord your God. Of all the people on the earth, the Lord your God has chosen you to be his own special treasure. Last thing I want to say about your promised land is that even after we move into the promised land, whatever that looks like in our life. There's a danger that we will 
intertwine, intermarry with the world. And I believe one of the greatest dangers for the church today is that our families become intertwined in the world around us. Listen to me, church. This is your pastor giving you a warning. It said, these people, you are to destroy their altars. Don't tolerate them. Don't put your altar up next to them. It's your land, evict them. Tear it down. And my concern, church, is that if we're not careful, we will become too intertwined with the world around us. And their gods become our gods. And we forget the fact that we are a holy, peculiar people called out of the things of the world into the kingdom of light. That's who we are. And then he said this, God, I think this is so important for us, church. It's so important. He says, especially watch your children. Because if you're not careful, they're going to take your children. And your children are going to adopt the gods of your enemy. And you're going to lose your family. And I say this today, church, because I am, especially now that I'm a grandparent, I'm so I'm so thinking about the generation of, you know, my, my grandchildren's generation and, and the God they'll know and the, the culture that they'll live in. And oh God, may the church be strong and holy and may we hold on to God and evict the, the other gods and we, may we not intertwine with this world and get all messed up in this thing and dilute the gospel and dilute the kingdom and live somewhere in this gray area, not the kingdom of light and not the kingdom of darkness, but in this weird situation. Listen to me, church. The enemy is after your children and as parents, we have to stand up and say, I'm cutting down that idol. I'm cutting down that Asher pole. I'm cutting down that altar. It doesn't have any place in us. I think the greatest thing that would cause us to miss everything that God has for us, ultimately that's the fate of Israel. Because even though they had this promised land that they had moved into, they never fully inhabited the promised land. I mean, I, I just think as I read this story, it ought to end up with like, and they, they conquered the entire promised land and they all lived happily ever after. That's how the story ought to wrap up. It doesn't wrap up that way. Because just like us, they, they started making friends with the wrong people and marrying the wrong people and diluted this whole thing. And it was never completely, they never completely inhabited all that God had for us. Church, may we be warned and may we be fearful lest we miss everything that God has for us. And church, hang on to your children. Hang on to your children. Hang on to your children. If you got to do things like, all the kids are going to get mad at me right now. It's like not buy your kid a smartphone. Are you brave, are you brave enough to do it? Are you brave enough to, to not let them go to that party or do that thing. I'm finished raising my kids, so it's okay. I can do whatever. You know, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Do y'all feel the weight on that? I don't mean to belabor this point, but I'm just so, I just, I just think that warning is still for us today. 
So I, I hope this series has meant something to you. It meant something to me. And, and I hope that we can look at what God did for Israel and see how it applies to our life. I hope that you have been set free by the blood of the lamb and you are now out of, out of Egypt. And hopefully you've been water baptized. If not, we can help you with that. And I hope that you're, you're making your way through the wilderness journey and letting God shape you and letting God teach you, letting God renew your mind through the wilderness journey. I hope you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, move into that promised land and walk in the fullness of what God has for you. That's his desire for you. The question is, will we cooperate with it? Would you stand up with me, please?